0: All right, you're listening to Wait, You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown, and for episode 19, we've got the very lovely William Hunter Thomas. He's an L.A.-based director, and we talk about his short film, Killer Missionaries, his own mission to Canada, and much, much more. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com. It's got all of my episodes there, as well as all of my social links. Now enjoy the episode. All right, well then, Will, just kind of jumping into it, can you tell us a little about
1: yourself? Yeah, so my name is, well, my full name is William Hunter Thomas, but I go by Will Thomas. And um, yeah, uh, why don't you just ask me some questions? Yeah, and,
2: absolutely.
1: Uh, well, here, here I'll, so a little bit about myself. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, people listening may not know this, but Las Vegas is a huge, there's like a ton of Mormons there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my high school, probably about a third of my graduating class were Mormon, oh. so there was a lot, and uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's so close to Utah, and so people don't realize that, you know, because it gets this character of like Sin City or whatever, mm-hmm. but Mormons were, they've been there since the beginning, Uh So I'm named after actually a guy named William Bringhurst, Mm -hmm. and he built, if you went to downtown Las Vegas, you would find there's this historical site called the Old Mormon Fort. Mm -hmm. William Bringhurst built that fort, and I'm named after that guy. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of like the first white people to settle there because uh, there were already Paiute. Uh, Native Americans living there. So that's like how far back my family goes in Las Vegas. Mm. So I grew up in Las Vegas and uh, yeah, I just grew up like in a big Mormon family, five kids. There was three girls, uh, two boys, including me. And, you know, know, everyone, it was just the typical Mormon family in a big Mormon ward. And uh, yeah, that was kind of like my childhood. It was going to seminary. I went to early morning seminary before high school. Hmm. I was in Boy Scouts, you know, typical. Hmm. Almost like living in Utah, basically. Yeah. Just in Las Vegas.
0: So there's a lot of uh, Mormons in Las Vegas. They don't have like seminary buildings attached to the high schools or anything like that. It still has to do the early morning.
1: Yeah, yeah. You still have to do the early morning. But if you go to UNLV the university like I did there Mm -hmm. was an institute building attached to the university so Mm -hmm. so even though there wasn't like uh you know uh seminary buildings quote-unquote attached to the schools you know you would go to a church Mm -hmm. and do early morning which was like 6 a.m right Mm -hmm. Uh, at university there was still like an institute building and I took a few institute classes too at UNLV but yeah it was uh it's for all intents and purposes it's pretty much just like utah except for you're not necessarily in uh, quite the cultural bubble you are in utah mm-hmm. but it's pretty close because you know as i for instance like in high school if like someone saw me at a party mm-hmm. they could tell on the bishop on me mm-hmm. you know if like i had a beer or something not that that ever happened although a bishop did call me in once and say so-and-so saw you at a party with a beer Mm -hmm. which wasn't true out of all all the bad things i probably did in high school that was like the one time it wasn't true but it was basically like growing up in utah because our little mormon bubble there existed Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah yeah you mentioned um your family Mm -hmm. having like pioneer history and all those things yeah. were you related in any way to that William Bringhurst character? Yeah. Or are your so just my name is loves? William
1: Thomas. I'm named after William Bringhurst. Mm-hmm. So my mom, her grandpa was named after this guy. Okay. So his name was William Bringhurst and he was named after William Bringhurst who settled Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. like literally my name goes back to pioneer her- heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brigham Young sent William Bringhurst down to Las Vegas to convert the Paiute Indians. Mm -hmm. And a little fun fact is, uh, William Bringhurst actually uh, got in a fight with Brigham Young because Brigham Young sent another team down to Las Vegas to mine for lead. And William Bringhurst, my ancestor, thought they should only be there to convert the Paiute Indians. Mm -hmm. And they got in a squabble over this. And he left for a while, left the church in the sense of, like, he just disappeared for mm. two years. But then he returned, went back to Springville, Utah, and he was one of the original board of trustees on the Brigham Young Academy, which is now BYU. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so that's, like, my, quote, unquote, pioneer heritage. Mm. Or as Mormons would say, like, oh, I come from pioneer stock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah. Um,
0: when you were growing up, did you do a lot of, do they do... Like, like the, trek. The Pi trek, pioneer trek, yes. and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yes, we would do pioneer trek, And I mean, that was just as big in Las Vegas as probably it is. And it's weird thinking about it now, mm-hmm. but yeah, we did all that sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah
0: that, that is strange. Like I get that Mormons kind of established Las Vegas, but the fact that they've stayed there for so long with like the reputation it has, I always find that kind of bizarre, like how, how you wrestle that. 'Cause it seems like yeah. it would be uncomfortable constantly.
1: Yeah, I mean I had friends, I won't say their last name, but they're um they owned like the largest food distributor mm. and they're a big Mormon family there. And um, you know I, so I've heard they did all the deals with the mobsters, you know. Mm. Like they would just do backroom deals with the mobsters and there's other big Mormon I mean Las Vegas is kind of like a small town all the Mormons know each other Mm -hmm. you know it's like all the bands there you know like the Reynolds Dan Reynolds Mm -hmm. who's the lead singer of Imagine Dragons like the Reynolds family gosh how many kids do they have like 10 kids and Mm -hmm. there was a kid they went to my high school there was a kid for every age in my family that was friends with the Reynolds because they had 10 kids you know and so it's small and we all know each other so if you're a mormon and you're from las vegas there's a good chance i know you and they know me because that's just las vegas Mm -hmm. for you nice
0: now people might not know but you just won best short at the utah film festival for a, a film killer missionaries what kind of inspired that and when did you get into kind
1: of filmmaking and and directing so you know, I grew up Mormon. I went on a mission to Toronto, Canada, and um, and we should probably talk about that first because, spoiler alert, my film is called Killer Missionaries. Mm. It's about two Mormon missionaries who kill a potential convert. (laughs) And so it's, and so let's go back to my mission. I served a mission in Toronto, Canada, and Um, just like every other Mormon growing up, it's who grows up in a heavily Mormon area. It was expected, right? When you turn 19, you go on a mission, you know, if you didn't, you were kind of like ostracized. Mm. And, uh, so that's what I did. You know, I went, I went on a mission. I got called to Canada, which I thought all my friends are getting called to Brazil and Mm you know, all these exotic places. And here I was getting called to Canada where I thought they lived in igloos, you know, Mm. I was literally that kind of American. And uh, so, yeah, I I went up to Canada and I went on my mission and I, you know, like Mormons will always be like, oh, it's the best two years of my life. Mm. No, a mission is not the best two years of your life. It's like, I literally had PTSD. you know, where I'd have the nightmares after the mission where you're still on the mission and you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. I had that for years Mm -hmm. where I would have those nightmares of being out on my mission. And, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy, like sending these kids off to these foreign lands and then they have to talk to, it's, it's, it's Definitely going out of your safe space, but on top of that, it's hard work I mean getting up at 6 and then going to bed at 1030, but No, you have no you time. You're just working the whole time and uh But I was fortunate on my mission that I I served in an area where um I had a companion who was from like Springville, Utah
2: hmm.
1: this guy like he did not want to work he would wear like silver chains around his neck mm-hmm. and sunglasses when we'd go tracting, right and i'd try to tell him like take that stuff yeah. off and uh which is funny because i i've kept in touch kind of through social media with some of my facebook companions and he seems to be one that's like still active mm-hmm. <laughs> where like most aren't uh and uh yeah he just sucked man he didn't want to work or do anything and i was like trying you know and so the like first counselor branch president i can't remember what his dad was his son was this 16 year old like punk kid who just like played he played basketball and uh i think he like sold drugs or something too at the Mm. time but but we had this like branch temple trip to Toronto mm. and uh, and I met the like uh, branch presidency's son in the temple after doing baptisms. And I was like, oh, I, I hear you play. I hear you play basketball. And he's like, yeah. And, and we, you know, when you play basketball, all of a sudden it becomes like a competition who has more hops, you know, like who can touch. the high. So here we are in the Toronto temple. I'm like, I bet you can't touch that. And we're like jumping up, trying to see who could touch the highest in the Toronto the Temple. Temple. <laughs> and, uh, and I became friends with this kid. You know, I was just barely 20. He was 16 or 17. And, uh, and we became friends. And my companion didn't like to work. And so he would come over because I had keys to the church. Mm. And, I, and he would come over so we could play basketball in the church and I'd open up the church, and we'd play basketball, because he, I mean, he ended up playing college basketball oh, for, like, a okay. so he's good basketball yeah. player, um, and uh, so, you know, he uh, started coming over, and he would, I would just leave my companion at the apartment, which everyone knows who's served a mission, mm-hmm. you, you're never away from your companion, but I would leave him, and go on, quote, unquote, splits with this um, branch president's son. And I would take him out tracking. He would go tracking with me if I promised that we'd play basketball afterwards. Yeah. And so we became really good friends mm. and we kept in touch. And, um, so after my mission, I kept in touch with this guy, his name's Kyle Warren mm. and he ended up playing basketball right down in the States. Well, eventually when he was done playing basketball, he moved to Vegas because I lived there and we had Mm -hmm. been, we kept in touch and we're really good friends. And, uh, I can't remember what happened. Something happened where he either partied too much or he got Mm -hmm. kicked off the team or I don't know what happened, but he went on a mission too, to Seattle, by the way, I should, I should say that first. So this is after his mission, (laughs) he comes home from a mission, plays basketball in the States, and something happens, a, there's a changing of the guard at a school and he gets kicked off the team. Mm-hmm. And he has, he doesn't know what to do, and, but his visa hasn't run out. Mm-hmm. So I say, come move to Vegas. Yeah. So he, he comes and he moves to Vegas and him and I start making just like little films. Mm-hmm. This is like 2005 or whatever. Mm-hmm. We start making uh, little films and uh, we do that for a while. And um But eventually his visa runs out. So he has to go back to Canada, but he goes back to Canada and he takes that experience we have and decides to become an actor. Mm -hmm. And he moves to Vancouver, which is kind of like they call it Hollywood North. It's Mm -hmm. where like there's tons of movie productions there and he establishes himself as an actor. He takes, you know, Mm -hmm. acting classes from acting, uh, acting coach. Mm -hmm. And Some time kind of passes where I'm doing my own thing and he's doing his own thing acting and eventually uh, We decide let's collaborate again and He says we should do a movie. He's like I have this idea in my head Uh, Like a missionary Covered in blood, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe he's like opening up a trunk of a car or Mm -hmm. something. He's covered in blood and he had this idea because on his mission, there was a missionary who accidentally ate a weed brownie and got oh, stoned.
0: Accidentally.
1: <laughs> yeah, accidentally. Yeah, accidentally. And uh, so he comes up, he's like, I have this idea we should do, cause remember like 10 years ago we made like little short films, but they were nothing. We were both really inexperienced. Mm. We were just starting out in the industry. But we've kind of moved along and kind of established ourselves more now in our particular field, fields. And so when we call again and kind of say, let's start collaborating again. Yeah, we just, br- he brings up this missionary idea. Of course, I was against it. I was like, I don't want to do a Mormon themed film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like a faux pas, right? Like Mormon movies. And so... But you know, he talks me into it, and we get a writer. His name is David John Banks, but he goes by D J B. And he's a—I mean—he's a really talented, good writer. He basically, um, we would just tell him our ideas, and the next day he'd be like, "Here you go. Here's thirty-page script." Oh. You know, and you know, we would refine him a little bit, but mm. yeah, he just could spit. You know, the story down onto paper. Mm. And so that's kind of where like this idea for killer missionaries came about mm. was like, I, I would say he's kind of like my best friend now because, mm. you know, I met him on my mission. We kept in touch over that time. And so it's kind of like out of all the people I baptize on my mission, I haven't kept in contact with any, mm. <laughs> right? It's the only person I've really kept in contact with was this guy i served in the small branch in the middle of nowhere in ontario canada think like Shits creek you know ontario yeah. canada and it's just farmland and whatever and this guy i met there we just kept we just kind of hit it off kept in touch and then he got into film kind of through me became a talented actor and we just kind of started collaborating on projects and so we actually shot another film before this but for you know for your podcast this is basically my first film i've actually directed Mm -hmm. um and so yeah we made killer missionaries and it's about it's about these two missionaries who they meet a potential convert and they accidentally kill him Mm -hmm. and then some jehovah witnesses come and knock on the door and you know, they have to kind of cover up this murder. Mm. And so, I, I don't know, have you seen it? or not? I've have seen, seen
0: the, the trailer. I Just didn't know if I had
1: access to the full thing. I, I'll, I'll give it to you, mm. um, but yeah, so do um, you want me to do like spoiler alerts? I, I'll tell you about the whole thing if you want.
0: I'm open to listening for sure, I'm all ears. Okay,
1: okay, so spoiler alerts. Um, so they they kill this potential convert and the jehovah witnesses knock on the door and anyone who's served a mission knows if you've served in an area where there's lots of jehovah witnesses you kind of you run into them a lot you know you'll be tracting down the street and they'll be tracking down the other side of the street so they they murder this guy and there's a knock on the door and they think it's the police but it's not the police it's these jehovah witnesses and uh and so at first they're like, oh crap, it's the police. And one of the elders is like, No, it's not the police. Go check who it is. And then he opens the door and it's the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they're like, Is brother Curtison? And they're like, uh, he's not available right now. He's he's sick. Mm-hmm. You know, he, we're taking care of him. And they're like, Who are you? He's like, I'm his I'm his daughter's husband, you know, he like makes up a lie. And of course they're not buying it. He shuts the door on them, goes back, and he's like, it's Jehovah Witnesses. And they've realized that Brother Curtis has been two-timing him with the Jehovah Witnesses. He's been seeing the Mormon missionaries and the Jehovah Witnesses. And now the Jehovah Witnesses are coming to check on him. And so they have to try to get rid of him. But of course, there's a line in it that's kind of funny where he goes, you know, you got to get rid of them. They're worse than we are. (laughs) And so, so he tries to get rid of the Jehovah Witnesses, and he slams one of the Jehovah Witnesses' finger in the door, so then he has to let them in and they have to try to hide the body and yada, 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 as they'd say, they end up murdering the Jehovah witnesses too. And of course, this whole time to- by accident, um, until the very end, he- they murder one of the Jehovah witnesses, but then the el- there's a senior companion and junior companion and kind of like the lesson through the film is the junior companion never mm-hmm. steps up, right? He never mm-hmm. talks. And the senior companion is the person who always does all the talking, mm. and so at the end, the junior companion finally steps up and actually murders the last Jehovah Witness because they need to, you know, continue serving for the Lord. So mm. it's a, it's a it's a really dark comedy, and uh, and it's also kind of a lesson about like blind faith and like what people will do mm. in the name of religion uh, if they think they're doing it for good and you know the lesson doesn't necessarily have to be just about religion too but just what people will do for certain causes mm-hmm. that's kind of like the moral takeaway couched in a dark comedy mm-hmm. so so yeah that's the film we made and it was kind of like our love letter to mormonism to leaving it i should mm-hmm. say since none of us are actually practicing mormons anymore mm-hmm
0: Yeah. So I assume both of you by that time had been out for several years. Um, Would you say that creating this film kind of helped, like complete that healing process or was it really um, kind of irrelevant in terms of just moving past some religious trauma?
1: Yeah. So, uh, let's see, this is hard to phrase because like I said, um, By the time, like, you know, Kyle had pitched this idea to me about doing this missionary film, Mm. uh, I was long past that, you know, and I didn't want to do it. Um, you know, I had base every, I feel like, cause I've been on like ex-Mormon Reddit and Mm. I've been on all the like Mormon sphere mm-hmm. stuff online. I know people kind of go through a phase where like at first they're kind of like scared or they don't know, right? Their mm-hmm. shelf builds up, exactly. they say. And then the shelf breaks. And then there's anger, right? Mm-hmm. Because they feel like I've been lied to my whole life. And uh, and then there's kind of like a sadness. There's like these phases people go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got off that plane from toronto from my mission i feel like i was already i was as i was coming down the escalator in las vegas i was kind of already on my way out Mm -hmm. slowly you know yes i was going to the singles ward for dating purposes but Mm -hmm. like was i being very active in the church not really Uh, i was like slowly on my way out for years Mm -hmm. and by the time I was about, I'm 40 now. But by the time I was about 25, I hardly went to church anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to the singles ward every once in a while, but it was more like uh, all my friends were still Mormon, mm-hmm. and all my family were. Well, like mainly my little sister was Mormon, and she was up at BYU, and and uh, so I was still hanging out with all Mormons. But, like, if I went to church, it was purely for social reasons, mm. you know. Uh, but was I still believing in it? Yes, I still was. I was kind of, like, physically out. Most people will be, like, mentally out, but they'll mm. physically go. Um, but I was, like, physically not really going, but still kind of mentally in for a mm. while. Where, like, yes, I would still feel guilt about things. Uh You know, like if I was breaking the quote unquote law of chastity, like, yeah, I felt guilt and it was uh, it was really tough to like deal with that guilt because your whole life you're taught that you're going to go to hell, Mm -hmm. you know, that this is like the sin next to murder. Mm -hmm. So deprogramming that stuff took about 10 years from the time I was about 25 to 35. Mm -hmm. Uh, even like drinking alcohol or coffee or anything like that mm. took at least a decade of slowly weaning me off of it. Where some people kind of like their shelf breaks at once. Mm. Mine was a gradual over time, which worked for me because over time I was able to kind of like progress. I was able to progress in like my views on. On things like on race on gender on sex on all those things just slowly gradually shifted over time from being like one way to this like right extreme to maybe say like a left. Um, And it was just and i'm glad i'm glad some ways in that way like because uh, I was able to kind of gosh i should start i'm gonna start over on this because i'm kind of just rambling now let me just put it this way um i did the whole like listen to every mormon podcast Mm -hmm. you know listen to infants on thrones or uh what's mormon matters or what's the john delin one mormon Mormon stories mormon story like Mm. i did i sucked all that up i read rough stone rolling i read no man knows my history like Mm. i i had friends that went to byu who were like mormon scholars i i like sucked up everything i could from everyone and just kind of over time came to the conclusion that this is made up Mm -hmm. and you know, it doesn't mean that I can't appreciate it for what it is. Like I can still love Mormons or whatever, but mm. like it's made up and I no longer have to let this dictate my life. Mm. And it was gradual because it took me years of sucking in all that information over mm. time. And, you know, but eventually I got to the point where I was just like, yeah, I don't care. And, uh, you know there were like years where like you know i didn't talk to my parents about it i still Mm. probably don't talk to my parents about it because you know i respect the fact that you know they're still mormon and i'm sure it's hard that like you know four out of five of their kids are no longer mormon um but you know at some point it's like well i just have to be who i am and Mm. uh so when i made killer missionaries going back to killer missionaries and like it being a love letter to leaving Mormonism, mm-hmm. it's probably the first thing I've done where like my parents could watch it and be like, oh, yeah, that's not something like a, a Mormon would make because yeah. there's like swearing and murder and it's violent. And even though they already know, mm-hmm. you know, but this is like I'm openly like, yeah, I think I think, you know, religion that can basically teach which can, which can cause people to do extreme things mm. is bad, yeah. you know? And so they know that, but I love my parents. They love me. And, you know, they're totally supportive. They're even supportive of the, of all the films and mm-hmm. stuff I do. So, yeah. but yeah, this was like the first openly time where like, yeah, I'm an ex Mormon, mm. you know? So, yeah. Yeah.
0: It was, uh, you know, you mentioned like, coming home from your mission already, you're kind of on the way out. Would you say that the mission was kind of your biggest shelf item throughout that whole journey?
1: Um, so yes and no, um, like being on a mission, you get to see kind of the, how the church works from the inside. Yeah. Before that, like I remember leaving the MTC and like on a bus onto the way to the SLC airport thinking like, oh my, like, oh my gosh. And I'll say gosh, because that's what I was thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, the Mormon prophet actually sees and talks to God Mm -hmm. in like the upper room of the temple, Mm -hmm. you know, in the Holy of Holies. That is insane, you know, like I've never, I haven't, I haven't ever taken the time to, right? And then you go on a mission and you get made like a branch president or something. And you have to like, <laughs> you know, you have a potential convert who has a, commits adultery in between their baptism and their confirmation and the mission president's like, just let them go two weeks. And mm. where normally like they'd be excommunicated, uh, just, just look the other way and, mm. you know, confirm them, like give them four weeks and, you know, mm. we need the members. You You see how the church works on the inside and how it's just kind of a, a pyramid scheme and and so mind you like it's still traumatizing because you're out there being yelled at every day by people and having to work and everyone's telling on everyone if you're not a hundred percent obedient, right? So it's like uh living in a uh gosh, what's that show called with the women that wear the red dresses? Oh uh <laughs> Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's tale yep. It's it's like you're a handmaid in the Handmaid's Tale, you know? <laughs> uh, so, like, but you see how the inner workings are, and you see how, like, there's the elders who aspire for leadership yeah. and, like, get there. You see the ones that don't get there. You see, like, how uh, you just see how it all works. Mm-hmm. And so when I came off that plane, I came off this plane with the knowledge of, like, You know, this is just kind of, it's just like any other kind of business, Mm -hmm. you know, that has its inner workings and that, and you see how like repentance is different on the like, uh, the leadership roulette, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, all that after being a missionary and working in the behind the scenes, you know, how it all works. Mm -hmm. And so at some point you have to say, well, is it, is it true? And And that's where you go down that rabbit hole where you start researching, you know, you had that pastor, you knocked on a door who said Joseph Smith had 33 wives and you're like, that's not true. I went to seminary every day of my life and went to Institute and blah, blah, blah. And then you go home and you pick up rough stone rolling or no man knows my history. And you're like, that guy was telling me the truth. And I was calling him a liar. And yet, here I stand reading the actual history and he was telling me the truth. Mm -mm. And so, um, you learn about cognitive dissonance and you learn about all these buzzwords that you would probably hear on ex-Mormon, but you realize what they are. And so, yeah, it's just, you, you go down this rabbit hole and it takes, it takes a long time. And so, yes, on like on my mission started the process, but like I said, it took ten years mm-hmm. of just slowly uh, adding stuff to my shelf. Um, even though I was, um, you know, maybe by twenty-five mentally out for the most part, or physically out, f- physically out like not really going very much, but like mentally still had those like oh, you know, what if. I do have sex and it's a sin and Mm -hmm. I'm going to hell, you know, it's a lot of deprogramming. You have to deprogram these feelings that if you do this thing, if you drink this beer, you're going to hell. Right. And, and a lot of that is you do research and you find out, wait a second, like Joseph Smith had a bar in his house and, and, uh, wrote a Porter Rockwell had a had a bar in Salt Lake City, and they made Valley Tan, which was whiskey. You start learning all these things, and you're like, "Oh, so you know, Heber J. Grant's the reason that like coffee and tea are banned because you know he was against women women getting together over like equal rights." Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You just kind of like learn these things over time, and you're like, and it helps you kind of break those. Um, connections that mm. make you feel that guilt mm. and for some people that process is different for me i love history mm. like, i absolutely love it and I, i'm in film and it's kind of storytelling and history is big in storytelling so learning those stories helped me personally detach from the guilt mm. and i think that's what helped me i don't know what helps other people um uh, you know, I have friends who left the Mormon church and they didn't research anything. They just were like, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And they left. And that was it. That's all it took them. And I I had other friends who were just like me. They like researched the crap out of it. And for every person, it's like a different journey. Uh, But it's definitely takes a lot of deprogramming because you grew up your whole life one way. And now all of a sudden, you know, Mm -hmm. you're, it's kind of like the curtain has been removed and uh you see uh the wizard of oz behind there and he's just spinning a bunch of random things he's not really a wizard after all so
0: yeah yeah i did my fair bit of research um when i was first leaving and i think uh the year i was leaving the ces letter was fairly new it might have been around a year or two um so i really dove into that i was reading and, bits and that and guy's from vegas night. by the way the uh, guy who wrote it yeah yeah um but the Hebrew j grant thing you mentioned I, i've never come across that like that it was a a way to kind of keep women from getting together and and pushing so, for certain rights
1: so don't quote me on this uh because you know i i don't know the history that well and it's been years since i've gone down that road but you know i'm old enough that a lot of my friends were went to byu because i had a sister that went there and they were mormon historians and through them um i've met a lot of people one is uh well i haven't actually even met her in real life but it's a good podcast i'll recommend you yeah. polygamy yeah. by Lindsay yeah. hansen yeah. park so um she has a great podcast series she's huge in the Mormon world. She is the president of Sunstone, I believe. Oh, wow. Which, which is like a Mormon yeah. historical society. And it's all like, so I went down that road. And uh, it's a great podcast for anyone because it talks about early polygamy starting from Joseph Smith and all his wives mm. to the Utah period. Uh, but also, um, you know, I had friends, uh, uh, Rachel Hunt, um, who went to BYU and she is a Mormon feminist and studied Heavenly Mother. Mm. And she has books out. She's still active Mormon, but you know she was in that whole Mormon feminist group. And so I was really interested in Heavenly Mother. And like, you know when I was growing up, we were taught there was a Heavenly Mother, but if you talked about it, it was, mm. so I, I wanted to know like, why were women getting the short end of the stick? Mm. So that was another road I went down was like, you know like why can't women have the priesthood and why can't we if there is a heavenly mother talk about her and Mm -hmm. and i didn't know that there was actually people in the church that were fighting against that you know fighting for equal rights for women and so yeah one of the things i learned was that um uh was that again my memory is hazy on this but like women would get together over coffee and tea. Mm -hmm. And so, because, you know, in the early days, like the early Mormons, they drank coffee, they drank tea, they drank whiskey, they drank beer. Mm -hmm. There's quotes out there. You know, they even, I mean, even when they were out West in Utah and it wasn't till like the uh, temperance movement Mm -hmm. was coming around and uh, prohibition that the Mormons actually... You know banned alcohol Mm. because they were wanted to jump on the train that the temperance movement was on. But another thing was that women were fighting for equal rights like the era the for Mm -hmm. suffrage be it right to vote and these women would gather over coffee and tea and, of course, you know, the leaders didn't want these women having all this power. So what do you do ban coffee and tea. Mm. Um, So. I'm sure some historian out there is going to yell at some semantics about me getting it wrong, but I'm not a historian on that. So that's just what I recall reading about it. Uh, But again, don't quote me on it. Go search it for yourself as the Mormons will say, Mm. go search it out for yourself and you'll find this history Mm. where like, even like with alcohol and with like all this stuff that like, today is like the Mormon rules, you know, came over time for various political reasons, Mm -hmm. even getting rid of polygamy, because they wanted statehood. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they, Joseph Smith was murdered, and they fled Nauvoo anyways, was over polygamy. Mm -hmm. So they came to Mexico, but I should say it was Native American country, which is what it really was, because they wanted to practice this law, or this you know, practice that was illegal. Mm. And so they, everything they've done is because of some kind of political motive, even the proclamation of the family. Another thing I learned was that the proclamation of the family came out in the nineties when Hawaii was legalizing gay marriage. Mm. And the church came out with the proclamation of the family as a binding legal document so that in court in hawaii they could say look it is like against our dogma of our religion to allow gay marriage because Mm -hmm. they were afraid that if gay marriage became legal in hawaii they would have to start performing gay marriages in their churches and temples Mm -hmm. in hawaii so they came out with this proclamation to cover themselves legally and of course every mormon puts it up in their house like it's some Mm -hmm. revelation from god but if you look at the history of it It was literally some lawyers telling the prophet, hey, we need to cover our asses. (laughs) And so we need to come up with a document that says we believe marriage is only between one man and one woman so that we can claim, you know, our First Amendment, freedom of religion right, so that we can discriminate against gay people. And you learn these things. And, of course, you know, Mormons are going to say, no, that's not the reason why. But, like, come on, Mm. you know. You're not fooling anyone. Yeah. Like gay marriage legal literally went legal legalized and then you came out with this document really quick after that. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, yeah. No, I mean I kinda of went off on a tangent you're, there. You're being
0: modest <laughs> about your knowledge, but like yeah. you you're wearing a very cool, like Indiana Jones type hat. So I'm taking yeah. it all as fact. I'm like this guy, everything he's saying. and listeners, it's 100%. So just roll with it. Yeah, you should tell them that like I,
1: I, my hair is braided in like two little pigtails and I'm wearing a cowboy hat. Uh, It's kind of like, uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff for my film lately. Mm -hmm. And so I've just kind of been dressing up for it. I'm pretty bland dresser, but uh, it's just kind of like what I do when I have to do something like this. I like to kind of be outrageous a little bit
0: mm, I, I dig it. The only thing that threw me off was uh no big beard. I thought I think your profile picture maybe has a big yeah, I usually beard. have
1: a big beard, but i've uh I've been shaving it because of you know obviously we're it's twenty twenty we're in the pandemic mm. and wearing a mask with a big beard is kind of cumbersome, so mm. i' I've, I've shaved it off, and uh yeah, so. Normally, I have a big beard. I'll probably grow it out next year, maybe, mm-hmm. but yeah, for the time being, the beard's gone
0: sad sad day now nah, you're you're working it, you're pulling it off the clean Thanks. shaven but um obviously ten years is a is a pretty big stretch to mm-hmm. you know go through that process um but ultimately,
1: now that you're out, how has life been for you so I mean, the funny thing is, is that you know, I'm finally disconnected from it, where you know I'm not even thinking about Mormonism. I'm not listening to the podcast anymore because you know, for the most part, like I've heard everything, so if I listen to a podcast on Mormonism, it's like, yeah, I've already listened to a million podcasts that cover that same subject. ouch. and so. No, Actually, no, not I'm getting no, not that like the thing is is there's always gonna be people that need to mm-hmm. listen to a new story um so there's always gonna be a need because there's always gonna be people whose shelf quote unquote is getting weighed down mm-hmm. and um so like I'm happy to be here to kind of tell my story uh. But, you know, I I had, I had not even thought about it, but uh, it's one of those things, right? There's this joke when you're in Mormonism, like, oh, people who leave the church, they leave it, but they can't leave it alone. Mm. And the thing is, is that, well, it's hard to leave it alone because it's been part of your identity for so long mm. that even when you're not thinking about it anymore, uh, some things are still in that Mormon context or you still kind of, your friends that you grew up with were all Mormon or whatever there's, or your wife's from Utah, like mine, you know? So you're always hearing about what's going on. You know, like I heard about the November policy, Hmm. which was like the separation of where like gay kids couldn't get baptized or children of gay parents couldn't be about. So like you hear, hear about these things. <clears throat> and so that stuff, you still always are hearing about that stuff, mm-hmm. even though you're not thinking about it very much. And, um, and so it's still always there. And so it took, you know, it took years to kind of deprogram, but then you do deprogram, but it will be a part of your life forever. Hmm. And you're right, you can't leave it alone, because it's part of your identity. I mean, yes, slowly, you'll, you know, you'll go out and have a drink and not be thinking about whether or not you're going to hell or not. But, you know, you're still gonna always be like, oh, like the Book of Mormon musical, like I was in London once, and the Book of Mormon musical was there. And I went and saw it, you know, because, and I saw that over all the other good plays in London, because I was like, because I grew up Mormon, you know, mm. it's fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's just something that is always going to be a part of my life. Mm. And because it's, it's interesting. Like, now, I, now I'm, like, looking at it as an insider outsider. Like, I was Mormon, but I like looking at, say, Mormon history from an outside perspective mm. of, like, why did these people do what they did? You know, and and so, yeah, it's it's always going to be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm kind of in a, a similar train of thought as you, but, you know, constantly just different. It's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You find mm-hmm. little bits of Mormonism everywhere yeah. it's like so heavily embedded in just different parts of american history you wouldn't think it would be
1: politics right politics like, yeah like you have mitt romney as the only republican voting to um impeach donald trump and then you're like oh you know like and, and then you have oh my gosh this election season has been crazy i don't even want to get into politics but you know <laughs> that's the thing is you can't get away from mormonism because there's mormonism there's Mormons in politics, Mm -hmm. you know, there's Mormons, uh, in business, there's Mormons everywhere. And it's hard, you know, and it's such a small tight knit community that no matter where you go, you're going to run into that for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And people know each other, you know? (laughs) And so, and if you've gone on a mission, right, there's like, you remember these people from your mission and and you bump into them and it's just it's just ongoing it's 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 a small world and so you're bound to like run into it again Mm -hmm. even if you try to run for from it
0: you know and that's probably why like uh like you mentioned just being able to do normal things secular things without the guilt like uh, it's very important to reach that point um, of healing throughout the process of, of disconnecting from the church because, yeah, you're really never going to be able to fully escape it yeah. unless you go into some crazy little bubble somewhere. you know yeah. Bits and pieces are going to constantly be popping out. So, you know, if, if certain things are, are triggering you, like, yeah, definitely it's important to kind of get a little introspective and see what those things are so that you can finally kind of overcome them as best as you can, however long that takes. Um, yeah, cuz yeah, they're, they're just going to keep popping up. But I guess kind of um in closing, we are reaching that that about hour point, so I don't want to hit you up too much. i um, yeah. hold you up too much. Um is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to get into?
1: Um so so I did this film Killer Missionaries. Um I haven't really released it to the general public yet, but uh, so my little sister, she's a director, and the first film she did was called Electric Children, and you should look it up. It's on Netflix or Amazon or something, mm-hmm. and it's, it actually stars uh, Julia Gardner, who, if you've ever seen Ozark, yeah, she won an Emmy for Ozark, and my sister kind of discovered her. It was her first film. Oh wow! Uh, and it was about a polygamous girl who runs away from St. George to Las Vegas because she thinks she was impregnated by rock music. She finds, like, a, a tape that has rock music on it, and then she becomes pregnant. And uh, that was my sister's first film. It's kind of sounds out there, but... Um, uh, but my family, for some reason, so we're filmmakers, uh, but for some reason we just can't escape this Mormon subject, so... Mm uh, the next thing we're going to work on will be another film that has to do with polygamy too, but in the 1800s. And, um, so I don't think it's the end of like telling my Mormon story. Hmm. Um, um, but you know, definitely in my own life though, uh, you know, I've, I've reached that point of healing. Um, but I was kind of actually curious to talk to you what like where you're at in the sense of yeah. because you have this podcast mm-hmm. and I know like a lot of people go through different phases of leaving Mormonism. Like is this something you do to like help you?
0: Definitely it has helped me. Um kind of like you, I felt like I was pretty past it. Um but even just this past year, I like, you know, they don't happen as often, but I, you know, I realize like, man, I'm still having these dreams of like a second mission. And, you know, I'm always yeah. whatever age I am that year. So it's like, yeah, I'm a 27 year old, 28 year old in my yeah. first apartment in Ghana, yeah. under this mosquito net, in this, this <laughs> concrete room, just like, fuck, like, I can't believe I I have to do this again. Like you know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And then you wake up, just so relieved. And so I finally just had to ask myself, like, man, kind of what you mentioned, like, is this some sort of PTSD? Is this linked yeah. to some different kind of trauma? Because nobody talks about that. Yeah. And then I wondered, like, I... why is no one really talking about that? Like, I've, I was, I lived in Utah. Like, I was around, returned missionaries, yeah. been around returned missionaries my whole life. Yeah. And this. It's very common, yeah. but nobody talks about them. Um, So that kind of was the main inspiration for the podcast. Like, you know, if there are people potentially wanting to go on a mission, I know it's a crazy climate right now with COVID, but, you know, maybe it could be kind of a a warning to some people. Like, hey, these are some some real things you might encounter if you choose to go serve a mission. Yeah. Um, People... I've talked to, you know, they didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And so us us having that conversation is kind of mutually cathartic. Um, Because, yeah, the missions, they vary depending on where you go. But some people really go through some horrific, horrific stuff, you know.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's something we should talk about real quick is that people don't put labels on it. And it took me years like i said i'm 40 so you know i started my mission 21 years ago there's people coming off a mission that weren't even born yet Mm -hmm. um we don't put these labels on it but if you're having nightmares about being on a mission if you know if you're having these i mean you're suffering ptsd we don't label it that Mm -hmm. but I don't know what else to call it because like having these nightmares and having these things that trigger you and trigger these feelings is PTSD. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, it's something that affected me for years. And it took me, like I said, it took me 10 years to gradually uh, get rid of the guilt or get rid of the fear of having to be on a mission. And I think people listening need to understand that they need to realize that that's what that is. And, and they may actually need like professional help. Mm -hmm. And I would say, don't go to a Mormon psychiatrist, you know, go to a psychiatrist, who's going to be able to actually label the trauma. It's a trauma Mm -hmm. missions are trauma and, uh, You know, we always couch it as the best two years of our life in Mormonism, but it wasn't the best two years of my life. Yes, I met like my best friend on my mission and I was able like, but that was like, I was able to find something good and something horribly bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be like someone being friends with someone from Auschwitz, you know, although I'm not comparing a mission to Auschwitz, you know, it's definitely not that bad. Uh, So... But, you know, just because you got this friend from this horrible experience doesn't mean it wasn't traumatic and it wasn't horrible. And I think people definitely need to be able to put a label on the feelings they're feeling and that those feelings are real mm-hmm. and they're not just being emotional about it. And they need to be able to talk about it and i think like creating safe places for people to talk about is what's important mm. whether it's a pot, listening to a podcast i mean that's what i did i sucked up podcasts and reading that was my outlet mm. for i didn't have anyone to physically talk to but about it and then it's crazy when you finally do have i i think people will have this moment and maybe this is kind of what's therapeutic for you, is the moment I was finally able to talk about it and just with like a friend and be like, oh yeah, and this, mm. oh yeah, this. And then I learned this and they're like, and I learned this and this and this and this. And then you can have that moment where you could just empty your shelf onto them, right? Mm. It's so therapeutic. Yeah. It's so therapeutic to to just tell someone everything you've learned and all the bullshit you've learned and just get it out there. Mm-hmm. And once you can do that and just let go of it, it's so healing. Yeah. And so I for me, yes, listening to podcasts was very healing for me. Mm-hmm. But it was slow. I mean, at first I was listening to faithful podcasts mm-hmm. that were like faithful histories. So it had that tint to it. And then they would drop some, you know, little hints of negative things in there trying to defend it. And it just slowly, slowly and slowly, I learned more. Mm -hmm. So I think by the time someone gets to this podcast, they're probably maybe more on their way out. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, but I I couldn't agree more. It is is beneficial just to talk to someone who is on the same level of understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, Because yeah, if you try to just unleash all of these thoughts and feelings onto someone like, that you think's a close friend who's very yeah. much in the church, yeah. it will go nowhere and it's no, just disastrous. Go over their head. You know, yeah. like I, I, I tried that route initially and it just ended in like tears and stuff every time and it destroyed friendships yeah, and relationships. And, you know, that doesn't feel good either. You're already going through this very difficult yeah. time and then now you're a pariah to people. That doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're, you know, I couldn't agree more. Just just to be able to unleash these things it is it is definitely therapeutic no matter where you kind of find yourself yeah um in the process whether it's been three years 10 years 20
1: years um just yeah having
0: that connection always always yeah and it's never a bad thing and
1: I just want to say one thing too is like I still have a lot of friends that are in the church I have a family member in the church like my parents and stuff and I love them and my goal is to never just like be a anti-missionary mm-hmm. to people who are in the church. And I think that a lot of people who are on their way up, the first thing they want to do is tell everyone that like, well, this is what i learned. And this is, but like, eventually you get to the point that like everyone has their own, uh, time frame. They mm-hmm. have their own, and you're not going to, you have to learn to let go, you know, you have to learn to let go of convincing everyone, mm-hmm. you know, Uh, just like when you're, it's just like being a a missionary, like, you're not going to, you're not going to convince these people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it, like on the flip side of it, you know, if you're on your way out and you've learned all these things, you know, going to your parents or going to your friends and trying to get them to join you, they haven't gone on the same journey you have, Mm -hmm and it's just going to make your life more frustrating you have to learn to let go of that Mm. and to just accept that like your journey is not their journey and they'll get there eventually or they won't Mm. and you'll be much happier if you can kind of just let go of that Mm. and because you know i think right everyone goes through these phases when they're leaving where it's like they're mad or they're like kind of sad at first their shelf breaks they get mad and angry at the church and they want to like tear it down. And they, you know, you'll see the posts on Reddit X Mormon where mm-hmm. like they think like they have the next thing that's going to destroy the church. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <clears throat> they're not going away, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you can just learn to get over that and to get over them, like you'll be so much happier mm-hmm. not worrying about how other people are living. Exactly. Exactly, So you know, because,
0: yeah, like you said, just trying, I don't know, when I was in the peak of my belief, it didn't matter what you came at me with. I could rationalize it, I could just hurdle over it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree, that approach never works. Um, It has to be their own timetable, you know, ultimately, the church or the gospel kind of has to fail them in some way when they Mm -hmm. need it to pull through for them. For them to kind of see the other side, yeah, um, yeah, and you don't you don't know when that will be, and it, it might never occur. But yeah, you have to ultimately make peace with that. So, I, I can I can say it better, but um, just kind of in closing, Will, is there any kind of final advice you would like to share with somebody?
1: Yeah, so um, so in closing. Uh, Google Killer Missionaries. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I had a website, but uh, it kind of got destroyed. But um, it will be posting soon. There is an IMDb page for it. And if you just Google it, you'll find Killer Missionaries. Um, and, yeah, just keep – keep, and, and watch Electric Children, which is my sister's first film, because mm-hmm. both those – have to do with mormonism but not really and they're both really cool films mm-hmm. so like i just kind of want to plug that so that uh um you guys follow me and my family because i'm sure we'll have stuff coming up in the future mm-hmm. um and yeah and also look up kyle warren who is my buddy i met on my mission who is the actor and uh who i i helped make killer missionaries with hmm. and um yeah and i think what i'll do is i'll send you a link to it i was just gonna ask and, yeah i'll send you a link to the film so that your followers can watch it with password because it's not officially released hmm. but but i'll i'll let them get a glimpse of it watch the film and uh and comment on it and uh yeah and and contact me if you want and if you want to talk to me about the film my twitter is at fingers on face and my instagram is at fingers on face and uh, let's see the killer missionaries has an instagram which is at killer missionaries so you can find the film there as well or on social media at killer missionaries And yeah, fingers on face, just like it sounds it's kind of a funny thing when I was a kid and I was really excited. I would go like this. I'd put my fingers on my face. And so it just kind of stuck. Mm. So fingers on face kind of became my handle for everything. and that's like kind of how you can find me online. I think even my Reddit is fingers on face. Everything of mine is fingers on face. All one word. So that's how you can find me online and give me a shout out or if you want to talk about whatever or have questions, uh, people can find me out there on social media. I'm pretty active. So
0: yeah. Perfect. Well, it's still fairly early in my neck of the woods. So I'm going to need that, that link. Yeah. 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 Right after the end of the call. So I can watch it. Actually hold
1: on while we're on the call right now, I'm going to give it to you. Oops. So perfect you're gonna have, you're just going to have to edit all this out i'll just leave it in
0: i'll just leave <laughs> it in they need the banter and that. i thought you sent that to uh, my gmail uh
1: yeah well i was just going to send it over the chat here oh uh, okay yeah that works too um yeah i mean i didn't even talk much about uh okay let's see here
0: yeah, I didn't
1: even talk much about my career or anything in film, but no one cares about that because it's kind of it's kind of boring. Okay, here, copy this down. And here is the password. The only reason I've had it password protected so people can't share it is because um, Because we were still working on distribution. And we didn't know if we just wanted to do like YouTube, you know, Mm -hmm. and share it through YouTube or do some other route because like places like Amazon will do short films, but I think we'll eventually do a YouTube release around Christmas. We don't get anything going distribution wise, but I don't care if people go to my Vimeo and click the password in there and watch it. So, all right awesome well he it's just yeah will was
0: honest i have the link right here so you can dm me guys i will share that if, if you want to yeah. watch it
1: yeah uh, i mean i don't even care if you want to post it like with like with with it mm-hmm. at this point i really don't care i just can't have it public mm-hmm. but but if you post like if you like post it on your podcast with the vimeo link and the password i don't care all right so people can click on it because at this point i have nothing to lose i want people to watch it Mm -hmm. and uh so i'm not really waiting on distributors and i'm probably going to make it public anyways here in like a week or two so all
0: right well then i'll definitely uh so post post it. it
1: what i'm saying is is you have my permission to do whatever you want you have the link and you have the password do whatever you want watch it i hope you enjoy it and yeah. All right,
0: man, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah. thank you again for coming on. I've enjoyed the chat. Yeah.
1: thanks, Devin. Um,
0: and I like a lot of what you have to say, so don't be a stranger. I'll check in on yeah. you. Feel free to reach yeah. out. For um, sure. Yeah, and I'll let you know my thoughts on uh on Killer Missionaries. I'm gonna watch it tonight.
1: Yeah, let me know. And when I got something else coming up, I'll hit you up. All right, perfect. All right, I will right, well, take it easy. I'll talk to you All soon. Right. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.